you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Two weeks ago, I began a new series wanting to carefully go through the book of Philippians on the theme of a single word, joy. In Jesus, you and I can have joy in every moment of life. Joy. Last time we looked at Paul's, at the beginning of Paul's very unique and very passionate letter to the Christians worshiping at the church in Philippi. And again, the theme will be joy because we know that joy is not only just something good to feel, but it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength, as Nehemiah 8.10 says to us. So we want to talk today about keeping our joy through trials. How I many sometimes we can go through some stuff? And maybe Christians in other churches, none of us go through anything here. Philippians chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse number 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it is because it has become evident to the whole palace guard and all and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed to the defense of the gospel. Let's stop there for a moment. Paul is addressing the Christians in this church who are having a difficult time dealing with the fact of all the things that have happened to him. They believe firmly that the work he is doing is God's work, that what he is a part of is what Jesus has set out for him to proclaim the gospel. And they're of a mindset and they're concerned because after all, if you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, isn't God going to protect you? If you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, isn't everything going to work out exactly okay? How could something bad happen to a Christian who is being obedient to the Lord's call? Anyone ever felt that way? Many can feel that walking with the Lord should provide a shield from all of the bad things in life. First of all, the reality is, it's only going to be our first moment in heaven for us to truly become aware of all the things God has shielded us from. When we get to see him, we will be, the Bible says, we will know as we are known. And we will become aware of all the times even without our having any clue that God did protect us, that God did shield us, and he took care of us. But Paul enlightens them that these things that are happening to him that are, might seem on the surface as bad things, being in Roman prison is a bad thing, have actually furthered the gospel. Because now there are some palace guards who would not have heard about Jesus unless Paul had been there to tell them about Jesus. 
people would have had would not have had the chance now have the chance and his chains have also made other people confident they've also emboldened believers Genesis chapter 50 verse number 20 says but as for you speaking of Joseph making this comment you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring it about in this day to save many people when Joseph's brothers put him in that pit and sent him on his way and tried to remove him from the scene God used that situation that horrible situation enacted by his family to save a nation God can take any situation you're involved in any bad thing happening to you and bring about miracle working power that can save people's lives and God can still work today the way he worked in Joseph's life, the way he worked in Paul's life. Because we believe, not just a verse we read, we actually believe and walk on Romans 8.28 where it says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Do we really know this? Do we really acknowledge it and let it sink in and we live it? And does this give us confidence when it seems and feels like we're being attacked on all sides? Even when the attacks come from within, from within the family of God. Because he comments here that there are those who are out there who are watching in chains, unlike the Philippians who are all upset about it, seeing him in a Roman prison for simply preaching the gospel. That there are those who are out there who are preaching Christ in a way to hurt him. They're actually preaching Jesus and looking at Paul and saying, huh, I never thought that much of Paul anyway. They're looking down on him and say, see, God is now being vindicated because Paul is being quieted in that Roman jail. But Paul had the mindset, and it takes a mature Christian to have this mindset, to, to say, you know what, they're still preaching Jesus. I don't really care what they think of me. If they're preaching Jesus, then I'm okay with that. Because preaching Jesus is what we're about. Preaching the kingdom is what matters. It doesn't matter whether you like me or not, but I want you to embrace Jesus Christ in all of his fullness. Paul didn't care what they thought about him. Christ was preached. Paul wanted his friends in Philippi to know that difficult days or seasons come to everybody. Well, maybe not to everyone, only to those who are breathing. If you are breathing, then you're elected to have a normal human life. If you're not breathing right now, you really should not be here. He wanted his friends in Philippi to know that no matter what you go through, God is able. God is able. Able to turn any bad situation, any bad circumstance, anything anyone meant for your harm into something beautiful and something powerful and something wonderful. And then Paul continues in verse number 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. 
For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing shall I be ashamed, but with all boldness and as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel." and not in any way terrified of your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For to you it is granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you see in me, and now here is in me. Paul reaffirms, it doesn't matter what other people say about me. It doesn't matter what viewpoints other people have about me. I want Jesus preached. And in that, I will rejoice. Paul was confident that what he was doing was in God's plan for him. He felt no doubt. He felt no shame. Now, it would be wonderful if he was free to roam throughout that part of Asia Minor and preach the gospel, he's okay with that. If he's bound in chains in prison, held under Roman captivity, and the only church he has is the palace guards, he's okay with that. And if what he was doing for the master cost him his life, he was okay with that because he says the verse that needs to be our banner that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think many of us that have followed the Lord for a number of years can understand Paul's inner conflict. He's saying, I love all of you and would like to stay and be with you once I get out of this wonderful Roman holiday inn. But let's be clear about the truth of the gospel. Being with Jesus is far better. Going to be with Jesus is just far better. We come to understand the various transitions in life differently when we look at them through the lens of the gospel, especially life's final transition. And I believe with all my heart that death is not the final comment. It is a transition. We leave this life and move into another life. That's why I've often been emphatic, and it might seem like semantics, 
that when we preach to the unsaved, when we preach to the unbelieving, and we, I understand why people say it the way they do, and they say, come to Jesus and you will have eternal life. But here's the reality. Whether you come to Jesus or not, you will have eternal life. It's not just what you will do after this life. It's where you will be. You will live forever. It's not, that's not the question. But I want to live forever in the presence of the King of Kings. For to me, for, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But when you look at life's trans, final transition from a godly Christian perspective, it's just different. Now we sorrow. There is grief involved. But Paul was clear. We do not sorrow as those who have no hope. We truly find comfort, yes, even joy in the truth that to die is gain. His hope for them, for the, the, the Christians in, in the Philippian church, was whether or not they get to see him ever again. And all historical evidence is that they did not get to see him again. That their, verse 27, that their conduct should be worthy of the gospel. That their joy in them would, that the joy in them would produce a boldness to share the love of God with confidence. That they would stand fast, which means strong and steady in the faith. Not tossed by every fad, not tossed by every teaching, not tossed by everything that comes our way. You know, the gospel that we were raised on is still the gospel today. It's still good news for all that will believe. I'm not moved by the troubles that surround me. I'm not moved by what panics everybody. Yeah, there are things that concern me. And there are things that I deal with. But when it comes right down to it, my life has been in Jesus' hands since I was 17 years old, and it's been in wonderful hands all of these years. This world gets moved by so many things. Gets into a panic, it seems, with the latest social media post. But we are different. Our joy is not based on the 11 o'clock news. Our joy is not based on what's happening in Washington. Our joy is not based on what's happening in Europe or in Moscow. Our joy is based that God is good and all the time. And that joy is our strength. It is our strength. Even in difficult times, because remember, as we talked about two weeks ago, Paul is writing all of this from prison. This is not a woe is me type of letter. This is a letter from someone who knows who he serves, who knows who's present with him in that prison, and when ultimately knows where he is going. He says to them, because of this joy, his further comment in verse 27, that they would be united. One mind, that they would keep working against all odds or strive for the gospel. You are aware that our culture is not going to help you practice gospel living. You are aware that our culture is not going to perceive you worthy of honor for embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
you are aware that our culture is not going to help you promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't matter what our culture does. I didn't get saved by my culture. I got saved by Jesus. Now, there are many things in this world that happen and that I see that make me scratch my head. There are things I look at sometimes, and i got to just be honest. I look at it, or I'll see a video, and I'll think, that was so dumb. That was just so stupid. It, It just... And this passes for logic. This passes for truth, and even more so... In some wild imagination, this passes for art or this passes for expression. And then people will give you the impression that if you don't go along with this, there's something wrong with you. Well, then let me make it clear. There's going to stay something wrong with me because I'm going to follow the gospel. And this world doesn't frighten me. I know no matter what this world says about history, I am on the right side of history because I'm on the one who writes history. I'm on the one who conducts the affairs of men. And to use a sports analogy, I am on the winning team, no matter what this world says. I also know that I need not only to believe in him, it says in verse 29, but I need to be willing to suffer with him. That's not popular preaching today. Especially if you're into a prosperity gospel. Now, I firmly believe God takes care of his people. I firmly believe he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills. He owns it all. And I firmly believe that I've never seen the righteous forsaken. But you know, when you possess the power of almighty God, when you possess the ability to truly be called more than a conqueror and an overcomer in Jesus, you can put up with a lot. You can withstand a lot. And the proof is, look at our lives. We go through so many things that we wish just weren't there. But we're called not just to believe in him, but to suffer for him and to walk with him. I expected it to get a little quiet. But you see, a benefit to coming together is that we can encourage one another. Now, last March, in March of 2020, the only option we were given was to be able to worship together remotely. The only option we had, but as soon as all of that lifted, the last Sunday of June last year, we opened up again because we need one another. We need to be with one another. I I've never understood Christians who says, well, I can worship God on my own. That's never the question. Yes, you can and should worship God on your own. But the Bible is clear. Do not forsake. Do not avoid. Do not prevent yourself from getting together with other believers because it's only together that we're the body of Christ. And together, we can reaffirm for one another, James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it. All joy when you fall into various trials. Joy. Count it all joy. Now, if you've been listening to me at all over the time I've been here, 
you know, I like to do things in a balanced way. And the reality is pain is real. And that suffering is no fun. When suffering comes your way, I've never heard anybody saying, say, yippee. No one said, well, I've never heard anybody say yippee, but maybe that was a bad example. And honestly, I personally would rather enjoy his blessings than suffer trials. This pandemic has been no fun. The division in our land has been no fun. And sadly, the division in the church has been no fun. So how can we recapture that joy? And it comes back to a simple, simple word. Focus. What are we focused on? Now, I know things have changed, and I'm going to date myself with this analogy, but it really was a great analogy back when I was in high school. So it worked then. Doesn't mean a thing now because things are changed. But in high school, I took two classes in photography. But I took them in the old way of photography, where you had film, and you had chemicals, you had to develop the film in, and then you had to put a, the negatives, which kids today have no idea what a negative is, and then you have to put them in a special light chamber to flash it onto photographic paper, and the room has to be dark. That's how I learned photography. And I'll never forget my photography teacher saying that we can fix anything in a dark room. We can fix poor lighting. We can fix poor arrangement. We can fix issues with the chemicals and developing the negatives. We can fix anything in a dark room except a picture that's out of focus. Now today, with all kinds of technology, you can fix things that are out of focus. So let's stay with my original analogy. When it got to a negative that was out of focus, there's nothing you could do with that. And even back in high school, it taught me that when it comes to our lives, we can fix anything as long as our focus is in line. When we're focused on Jesus, we can fix all of the other things that come our way. We can fix our relationship issues. We can address our financial issues. We can address our even our spiritual issues as long as our focus is correct. But if our focus is wrong, if our focus is on this world, if our focus is on this government, if our focus is on other people, it doesn't matter how much you pray, the power is not going to be there because the focus is wrong. Paul's mind was focused on his creator, not on his critics. Paul's focus was on his savior, not on his surroundings. Paul's life was focused. His mind was focused. His heart was focused on his testimony, not on how he was being treated. He was focused. And we need to be. Because we live, if they look back on this, at least that's how I would label it, Historically, look back on this years from now. This is the age of distractions. Everywhere you go, there is something to distract you. 
You can be completely focused on one thing and then something will pop up and all of a sudden you're on to something else. We as a culture have lost the ability to focus. But how many know Paul in a Roman prison was able to focus? He was in pain. He was restricted. He was under guard. He was in chains. And yet his focus was for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. For me to see the uh, and, and, and hear the reports of the wonderful things happening in the church in Philippi. That keeps me going. That's my focus. Not my situation. Not what I'm going through. Not how unfair or unjust it is. But I'm going to focus on Jesus and him alone because he is worthy of my attention. We have a culture that has almost a permanent uh, diagnosis of spiritual attention deficit. We just don't have the, the, the desire to focus on the things of God, but we'll focus on everything else, on everything else. But we can learn from Paul. We can stand firm in dark days. We can stand firm in Jesus when we count it all joy. Last weekend, my wife and our, our, our family participated in my brother-in-law's memorial service. He passed away a year ago in April because of, uh, of, of um, COVID-related issues. And one of the things that had me thinking was as we're going through all the pictures to put together for the video montage that was presented, was all my brother-in-law's pictures was just how many pictures he had, how many memories he maintained, how many negatives, which is what got me thinking about negatives again, how many negatives he had. You know, there are many things besides the troubles of our land that people can focus on. How about focusing on family? How about focusing on the love we have within one another? How about focusing on the good times? Have you noticed that when you take pictures, they're usually of good times? I don't see too many pictures. Ooh, that's an awful situation. Click, 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 click. Although nowadays we're getting strange with that too. So, But the pictures we keep, the memories we hold on to, they're the good memories. Count it all joy. But pastor, there's not been that much goodness in my life. If Jesus is in your life, that's not true. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, if he is your savior and master, then you have access to the throne of heaven. Count it all joy. As we continue to go through Philippians, we're going to see that Paul understood that things don't matter. They just don't. When we get to Philippians chapter 3, and he talks about his heritage and all the things that in the world or in the natural he could easily boast about. But all he wants is that I might know him. That I might know him. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of a couple of sermons. 
today, it's about focus. Focus our, our mind, our thinking. Focus our heart, our emotions, and our reactions. Focus our entire life on the goodness of Jesus. Church, hasn't God been good? Let's try that again. Church, hasn't God been good? Is, and not only hasn't he be good, isn't he good? Doesn't he take good care of us? Isn't his presence so sweet to embrace his presence? That's the biggest joy I get out of coming on Wednesday nights. I enjoy being here with my brothers and sisters. I enjoy praying one for another. But where two or three are gathered, Jesus shows up. And his presence is sweet. That's what I enjoy most about Thursday nights with the men. We get together. The men are growing. They're sharing with one with another. They're learning from the video series. But we're together and his presence is there. We need each other. We need one another. And we need to focus. Stand with me, please.